is so good to see all of you this morning. It's fun seeing people from first service and second service coming together. It reminds us of the fact that we are one church, right? We are the local expression here in Maple Valley and on this particular street corner of the local church, God's church. And today we are continuing our sermon series in Ephesians. A little squeal there. Do I need to scoot back, Corey? We are continuing our sermon series in the book of Ephesians. I hope you had a wonderful 4th of July. We had a lot of fun last weekend worshiping outside. Joe had a wonderful message reminding us that ultimately, our ultimate freedom is found in Christ. And we worshiped about outdoors. The week prior, I had the opportunity to share with you inside here. It wasn't live stream, so if you missed that, I apologize But we are picking back up in the book of Ephesians today. We have covered the first half of the book, and today we jump into the second half, starting in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. The first half of Ephesians really is kind of this this, uh, letter that speaks to the power and the purpose of God at work in the church. And these final chapters look at kind of the application, if you will, of all of that. Two weeks ago when I shared with you, I I had the opportunity to kind of share about how I felt this anticipation inside of me for some time. And I really wasn't exactly sure what that was about, where that came from. I thought maybe it was school. I thought maybe it was ordination. I thought it was maybe all of these sorts of things. But I got through some of those, and I realized that this anticipation still kind of lingers. And I've wrestled with what that was. And it wasn't until Pastor Pete preached the last sermon from chapter three of Ephesians, that it really clicked in my mind what it is that I felt this anticipation about. The last two verses in chapter three, 20 and 21, are this doxology. And as he read them, I realized that what I'm so excited for is what God is doing here in this place and what I believe he is going to do as we move forward. The verses speak to God doing things that are far more incredible, far bigger, far grander, far greater than we could ever think of or dream of or hope of or imagine. And that's it. I believe that the Spirit is on the move here, that He is doing something incredible, something super amazing and exciting, but something that is going to require kind of a collective investment of our time and our effort and our energy, of our resources, of the spiritual gifts that we have been given. It's going to require that we are all kind of on the same page, rowing in the same direction, if you will. Some of you know that one of our founding members, Roger Morris, was a member of the University of Washington rowing team that that won the gold medal in the 1936 Berlin Olympics. Here's something else you may not know. My uncle's dad was a part of that team as well. His name is Joe Rance, and he is one of the main characters in the book, The Boys in the Boat. Rowing is an exciting sport to watch, but it's hard to find. You don't see it on TV all that often. But when you do, there are some races that are neck and neck, right down to the wire. It's fascinating to watch these teams so in sync, so working in in unison with one another. It's not just about the teamwork, but it is about the, the synchronization of each team member, to be pulling in the same direction at the same rate and speed and force to allow that, that rowing shell to go through the water, to glide through the water in an efficient manner, the most efficient manner possible. If one person were to drag their oar, if one person were to get out of sync, not only would the boat slow down, but it might very well veer off course 
And that's not what you're looking for when you're rowing. We see this type of fine-tuned synergy and precision in a lot of areas as well. We see it when a race car pulls in for a pit stop, that pit crew. If you watch those pit stops, it is, an, it is fascinating to watch. Each person knows exactly what they're doing, and they have it down to an art. It happens in an operating room, the surgeon and the nurse working together, knowing exactly what needs to be done. It happens with a band that is well-rehearsed. They know their parts. They play in tune. They play at the right time. Everything just is firing on all cylinders. And we've, we experience this within our own bodies as well. When our bodies are healthy, each organ, each muscle, each part, they work in such a way that we are able to do and function and live the way that we are supposed to. We also know what happens when we are not working at our best, when our bodies are not functioning the way that they're supposed to, when we're sick or we're injured, we recognize that our bodies do not function properly. It's this type of unity and alignment that we see Paul encouraging the church toward in this passage. Today we're going to read from Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. It's a larger passage. I invite you to turn with me to it as I read this this morning. But this passage speaks to the idea of unity in the body of Christ. Paul says this, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The word of the Lord. Now, before we get too far into this text, it's, it's important to look at the very, very beginning of it, because there's a very important word that helps us understand what's to come. And that word is therefore. It starts out, I therefore. The word therefore reminds us that everything that is going to come in this second half here, in particular this passage, but in the second half, is based off of what came earlier in this letter that Paul wrote. The stuff that came before is the foundation upon which this, these instructions are being given. So we need to understand that everything that comes after this is based upon what Paul has already explained in the first three chapters of this letter. Specifically, we have been adopted into the family of God, that a, a work has been done in our lives by God's grace through faith, that we are loved and one in Christ, that he is at work in us, preparing us for what he has in store, 
so that we might experience the fullness of God and be ready to be used in some really, really big ways. In light of all these truths, here are some important instructions to believers. And Paul says this, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Paul provides this reminder that he was a prisoner. I don't think Paul is doing this because he's trying to gloat. He's trying to say that he's better than anybody else. I think what he's doing here is he's trying to remind believers that following after Christ requires sacrifice. And he provides this context and he says that it requires sacrifice so much so that I'm imprisoned because of my desire to follow after God. But I think he's saying that it's worth the risk. It's worth the sacrifice. There are risks associated with following God. Over the last several years, I've had the opportunity to meet with our summer interns to talk about the idea of calling. And we see Paul talk about calling here in this letter. I love the conversations that I have with our summer interns about it because we talk about a lot of different things. But one of the things that inevitably comes up pretty early on in the conversation is my calling is what I do, my job, my profession, my vocation. And that might very well be a part of what a person's calling is. But I think Paul is speaking to something here that is not so much related to our jobs, whether or not you're a nurse or a small business owner or um, a software engineer or a cashier or a server or a CEO. Paul, in, in this passage here, he's speaking to something that is deeper, something that is more foundational, a more foundational calling. And it's this thing that he talked about at the very beginning of the book of Ephesians in chapter one. It's this call into the family of God as adopted sons and daughters, as joint heirs with Christ, this great inheritance that we are to receive. And he says, those of you with this call, you are to live your life in such a way as to demonstrate God's effectual transformation in your life. The way that you live your life should be representative. It should be reflective of this call that is on your life. The way that you conduct yourself is important. There's a relationship that you have, that I have as followers of Christ to reflect God, to point to God, to help reveal God to others. We're to live humble lives. And this wasn't a popular way to live back in Greco-Roman society. Humility was something that was viewed as a negative thing. In some ways, maybe that's true in our society today as well, an influencer society, a superstar society. We're to live gentle and patient lives, lives that put others first, lives that are tolerant in love. I think this, this passage screams of, of Galatians chapter five and, and the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think this passage screams of 1 Corinthians 13 where we see this beautiful passage about love. Love is patient and kind it does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. There are similar themes in these other books that we see in the New Testament here. But it's also similar to what Paul writes to the Colossians in chapter three. We are to put on our new self, 
When we become followers of Christ, a work is done in our life. We become new. We become transformed. It's this already not yet sort of thing where a work has begun, we are transformed, but there's this this beautiful final transformation that takes place when we are reunited with Christ. But we are different people, so to speak, because we've been transformed by Christ's work in our lives. I don't think Paul includes this in this passage because he thinks that our lives are going to be easy and everything's going to go smoothly because we follow Christ. I think that he recognizes there are going to be issues. Anybody have any issues? There are issues. There are problems. There are going to be people that will bother us, and whether you like it or not, you are going to bother someone else. Right? It's going to happen. There are going to be disagreements. People are going to be upset. And so we need this reminder to turn to God, to ask the Holy Spirit to help us live in this sort of way that is true to the call that has been placed on our lives. We need help to relate to people in such a way. Paul says in Colossians 3, 12 through 13, when talking about putting on our new self, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. Can I just stop there for a second? Sometimes we just have to bear with one another, right? It is hard, but we just bear with one another in love because that is sometimes all that we can do bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. You see, followers of Christ have a responsibility to intentionally pursue unity. Paul tells the the readers of this letter that they must be diligent. If you are diligent in something, you are intentional about something. I don't think you can passively be diligent. If you are diligent, it means you are focused on it. It means you are investing in it. It means you are paying attention to what's going on. And he says to be diligent in this. Diligence is not accidental. So be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. This unity is something that Christ has already brought as he's reconciled reconciled Jew and Gentile unto himself. But now as followers of Christ, we have this responsibility to be peacemakers to pursue unity, to bear with one another in love. And Paul continues in the next three verses to emphasize for the reader where this unity is found. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Although believers might find themselves to have different views on a variety of different things, Paul is reminding the reader that there are some foundational, some fundamental truths that unite the body, that hold the body together. And that these foundational truths about who God is, about who we are in Christ, these foundational truths are things that we need to cling to. These are things that we need to unite in order to protect In verse 7, we get to kind of a turning point in this passage. It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We go from looking at the need to protect unity within the body to now seeing how God gifts individuals kind of on their own to contribute as vital members to the body of Christ. We want to be one body. 
But we are one body as we are individuals that come together in Christ to use the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God has given us. God's grace is essential for the flourishing of the church and it is out of God's grace that we are gifted in order to pursue a healthy and united body. Verses eight and nine. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. In this passage here, Paul is quoting from the book of Psalms, from Psalm 68, 18. One of my favorite authors and biblical scholars is N.T. Wright. And he points out that in this verse, it's quite possible that, that first century Jews kind of view this and believe this to be about Moses. After, after freeing the Israelites, he, he went up to the top of Mount Sinai, he ascended, and he came back down with the Ten Commandments. But here Paul takes this verse and he applies it to Christ and the exodus from sin that he provides for us through his death and resurrection. And now the Holy Spirit has descended, has fallen in order to equip each one of us for the task of building up and preserving unity within the church. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This list of gifts of roles that, that are laid out here is not a comprehensive list. It doesn't list all of the different sorts of gifts, spiritual gifts that, that are given, but it does point out some very important ones. And it does point out that there are a variety of gifts. We don't all receive the same gift, but we all, all are gifted. The Spirit does gift us each with spiritual gifts. Unity of the body does not mean uniformity in the body and that we are all the same. Unity in the body does not mean uniformity in the body. I am a different person than you are. The gifts that I have are quite possibly very different than the gifts that you have. The gifts that Rob has are very different than the gifts that I have. You do not want me up here playing a piano or a guitar or singing a song. But God, Rich Craig, no, you don't. No, you don't. I see you. They're very different gifts. But the gifts that Rob brings to the table are important gifts. The gifts that Sarah brings to the table are important gifts. The gifts that you bring to the table as you serve in your various areas of ministry, they're important gifts. They're essential gifts. So while unity in the body does not mean uniformity in the body, it doesn't mean that all the gifts aren't important. They are. They are essential. When we look at the church with all these different gifts, it's like an entire shell of rowers pulling in sync. It's a pit crew perfectly executing their responsibilities in the shortest time possible. It's the nurse knowing precisely how to aid that surgeon. It's the orchestra playing individual parts in perfect time, pitch, and with just the right dynamics. Paul is teaching the church that when this happens, when spiritual gifts are exercised, growth and maturity take place, and unity is established, and the risk of being caught up in the latest fad or trend or ideology is greatly diminished. When this happens, the church is united and it is strong. When the body is firmly connected to Christ, 
the head, the church thrives. As, a, as an eco-church, we are all about flourishing churches. Flourishing is language that our denomination uses. We want to be a flourishing church. And when the church is united, the church flourishes. It's a beautiful word. We flourish as the body when we are united, when we are using the individual gifts and talents and abilities that God has given us for a common purpose, a united purpose. We flourish as a church. When the body is firmly connected to Christ, the church thrives. And so we are to build one another up in love. We are to use our gifts and our talents. We are to live lives that are true to the calling that we have as followers of Christ. And in doing so, we not only strengthen and unify the church as one, but we have greater kingdom impact on the lives of individuals, one person at a time. There's this quote that I really love from um, a man named Kerry Newhoff. He's a pastor that I, that I follow sometimes. He says, people who are on mission with you will create a better future than people who are off mission or have left the mission. God has called us as a church to a particular mission. If you are a covenant partner, a member of this church, you have said, I believe in the mission of Maple Valley Church, the mission that God has called this body of believers to. I'm on mission with you. And if you are not a covenant partner, I hope that you are here because you are on mission with us, because you are united, because you believe in the work that God is doing in and through this body. See, you are, excuse me, you are one person but you are one person called and equipped by God to help bring unity and strength and maturity to the one church. You are one person specifically gifted to have kingdom impact. You are one person sitting in this room or, or watching online that God has said, I want you to bring unity to Maple Valley Church. You are one person that is vital to the mission that God has called his one collective church to. And specifically, it's expression here in Maple Valley in this season. We, you, you and I, you and I, we are essential to what God is doing here. And I truly believe that. Church is not about being a maverick or a lone ranger. Christian faith, despite what many people want to tell you in our individualistic society, is not a standalone faith. We are called to be in community. We are called to come together like this, perhaps on a Sunday morning and sing songs of praise, to hear the teaching of the word, to fellowship with one another, to connect in community with one another. Christianity Being a follower of Christ is not about being on your own. There's that song, One is the Loneliest Number. When it comes to the church, there is one church, but that church is certainly, or certainly should not be a lonely place. It takes a lot of ones, a lot of individuals, gifted uniquely by God to come together to be the united church, but it certainly should not be a lonely place because we are on mission together. We are united as the body of Christ. As I said a couple weeks ago, we need the young and the old. We need the rich and the poor. We need male and female. We need employed and unemployed. We need introverted and extroverted. We need those that are confident and those that are unassured to step up and to engage. 
wherever you are at today, whatever you are feeling today, we need you. This church needs you. The body of Christ, the big C global church needs you because God has uniquely gifted you and called you to this place for the mission that God has us on, to sacrificially invest in the beautiful work that God has called us to. And when this happens, when we serve from a place of unity, I believe you will see and hear and experience the most beautiful things in and through this church because God is at work. I'm gonna share a prayer with you. I'm just gonna read it. You can listen to it. It's, it's a prayer that um, is in this book, Where Across the Crowded Waves. This is a book that Pastor Frank, if you're watching Pastor Frank, thank you. Pastor Frank gave me. And there's some beautiful prayers in here by Ernest Campbell. And I wanna share one, of, one with you in particular and then we'll close really in a time of prayer. But I think this is such a poignant prayer and I think it speaks to what God wants to do in and through us. It says, oh God, who has willed a variety of gifts in the one body of your church, hear us as we pray for a more productive fusion of insights and abilities among your people. Guard us against wasteful rivalries and unwarranted divisions to the end that each may rejoice in the gifts and talents of the other. In particular, we pray that clergy and laypersons may march together as beneath one banner in the spirit of mutual trust and interdependence. Whatever the nature of our work, help us, O God, to do it unto you. Let our shops and offices, our schools and factories, our streets and homes feel the influence of Christ through us. Use our assorted skills and aptitudes in the manner of a conductor with an orchestra, calling out to this instrument, then that, this section, then another, to offer their best in a grand performance of the work at hand. Tune us to your will and harmonize us with each other and with you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the call that you have on our lives. Lord, I thank you for this particular expression of the church, for the mission that you have called us to. I thank you for the ways in which you are at work in our lives Lord, I pray that we would be aware of the gifts that you have given to us. And if we are not aware, if we are unsure, or perhaps, Lord, if we're not sure how to exercise those gifts, I pray that this would be a place where people can explore those things in thoughtful, caring conversation, prayerful conversation with you, Lord. Lord, I pray for unity. Lord, it's okay that We have differences. You made us differently. But Lord, I pray that we would be able to unite around you, that we would be a unified church, a church that is passionate about serving alongside one another so that we can have great kingdom impact in this community and around the world. Lord, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.